Well, I want to welcome you, back, welcome you back to the Alpha Course. Welcome to week four. Those of you watching online, welcome as well. I know there's some folks that couldn't be here tonight or even last week watching live stream, and so we thank you for that. Um, how many of you, uh, any first timers tonight? Anybody here for the first time? First time, first time, first time, going once, twice. Jackson, you're. Oh, who's that? I can't. Oh, that's how my eyes are. Oh, sorry. Are you here for the first time, really? Well, welcome, buddy. It's great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Gotta look. My eyes are done. How many? Four for four. Anybody? Four for four. Got perfect attendance. You don't want to. You don't want to screw that up. All right. Just keep perfect. Perfect attendance. Okay. So anyway, well, welcome. Uh, so happy you're here. Um, we've got a lot to go over tonight in this fourth session of the Alpha Course. Um, tonight we're on page 24 of the, of the uh, manual, sort of. Um, the title tonight, How Can We Have Faith? Uh, I, I want to lodge my complaint. I should have done it already with the folks at Alpha that this is not a, a favorite title of mine because we have talked about through the weeks that we all have faith. The question is, what is our faith in? So... If they would allow me, I would retitle, Can I Be Sure About What I Believe? Can I Be Sure About What I Believe? And so tonight, as we continue our introduction to, the, to Christianity, what the Bible has to say, again, let's find out what is in the Scriptures. Let's find out what it says, and can I be certain of what I believe? And look, through, through our lives, all of us come from different backgrounds, maybe us grew up in the same religious tradition or irreligious tradition. Uh, but regardless of that, we came up growing up with, with thoughts that pretty much, I think, model this, this performance model uh, that we're validated by keeping or we're invalidated by not keeping. So we all have this, what we call the VPR, this validating performance record that we hope will, the day we die, the day we are no longer in the dash of physical life and find ourselves forever, wherever that's going to be, we're hoping that's going to be forever good. And so, but we typically base that upon ourselves and our definition of what is good and not good enough. And so pretty much, I think, as I talked to you guys about last week, we have this, this picture that here is man, here is God, there's a chasm between God and man, and that we're just doing the best we can. And, that, and honestly, that is the model of really all major world religions, of Islam, of Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, as I said, whatever, uh, that religion as well. And that only one faith is different than that. So you literally, though there are different things which would define the faith foundations of different major world religions, they're all basically have this same model that it is incumbent upon you. And that may be right. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but they all have this model that says we are here. God is here and we're just doing the best we can. And some are better than others. Some are keeping the rules better than others. And so that's what we think. If we keep the rules, God will have to give us what we want now in the dash. And he will have to give us what we want in the line. That's, that's how we feel about that. The problem is, um, well, we don't really do real well with rules, do we? No. But 
And that's the problem. We don't keep the rules. But um, we, we put rules on other people that we don't keep ourselves. And, but, you know, I really do love rules for everybody else, not just for me. And so, um, so I just want to give you an idea here of um, here are some rules that, that prove to us. These rules will prove to you that rules are not expected to be kept. Now, these are the, these are the pool rules from the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801 North Glebe Road in Arlington, Virginia. You can, I don't know if you can go there today, but I took this with my very own cell phone. My wife can attest to this, her sister and brother-in-law. So these are the pool rules at the Arlington Gateway Hotel. If you're ever visiting there, please be sure to look them up. I sat there. Here's the first pool rule. If you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. So my question is, do not use the pool for what? I'm not quite sure what they mean. And, and I'm thinking, say Monday, Tuesday. Has it been two weeks? I'm not quite sure. It's like, that's, that's rule one. Rule two, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, like, who doesn't do that? Why does that even have to be a rule? Uh, rule three, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. God, could you imagine you're just standing there reading these rules, wondering if you can go in the pool or not? But just to prove to you, they don't expect you to keep these rules. They do not expect you. This is why there's rule number four. Do not drink the pool water. I mean, like, so obviously... This doesn't mean anything. They don't even have to tell you this. Just don't drink the pool water, for heaven's sake. Which is something I love to do, with a straw, typically. I'm... So anyway. Uh, so, anyway. So we just do have a difficult time with, time with rules. But last week we looked at, at, at scriptures, things in the Bible that are very clear, that challenge this meology, this meological type of worldview that says, God has made an, uh, my image, and, uh, and, I have to, and I'm the one that determines what is right and acceptable and not right. And we, and we, but we saw that the scripture really piles into my way of thinking and the rules that I keep. I mean, here's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you remember we talked about that? All have stolen or lied or lusted. All have dishonored their parents. And as a result of that, not, are found not acceptable to God, that's not good news if it just hangs out there by itself. We saw another scripture in Romans that says, all have, I mean, but there is none right before God, not even one. Okay, now, again, I want you to take that and make that very personal. Don't read that as some religious thing that doesn't really affect you. It kind of affects people out there in the cosmos, but it really doesn't affect me. No, it affects you. So when he says, all have sinned, he means, Kate, you have sinned. Peter, you have sinned. Tiffany, you have sinned. Jimmy, you have sinned. And you're not acceptable to God. If that's true, that should bother the snot out of us. That should bother the pool rules out of us. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Stupid. Okay, so, so, so we see this. This is not good News. This, this should mess with my thinking about God and my, my standing with 
God. And, you know, we talked about the evidence about the TV monitor. Remember that? That monitor that shows not what we're thinking, not necessarily what we're doing. It just kind of cuts into and past how we even try to look acceptable and, and nice in public. If everybody could see what I was thinking, it would certainly give away that I'm not half the person you may think I am or I'm doubly as bad as you think I am. And so it's, it's basically it's universal. We design or develop a, a, a view of God whereby we define how good we need to be. That is meology. And we hope to earn the acceptance of a supreme being. Now, let me say this. Most of us, you know, would think that we're good enough. But can I say this as well? There are some of us, you may be watching tonight, you may be here in this room, that you think what you've done is too bad for God to ever give you the time of day. What you have done was so horrible that your issue is not self righteousness if you will that you're good enough yours is that you are so bad not even god god would in no way accept you because you've done some horrific things well can i tell you that's meology just as well so so here's meology in our thinking more highly of ourselves than we should we're not really maybe holding on to all have sinned i have sinned and fall short of the glory of god i'm not may not be perfect but i'm i'm, I'm not that bad i'm not as bad as the guy sitting next to me tonight at the table but it also may be that whether I'm just too bad, what I've done is just too horrible. That's meology as well. Because God is here even above that. And so I just ask you tonight, depending on whether, whether you're here or whether you're there, consider what God has to say about you and your past more than what you have to say about you and your past. Who's going to be God? You? Or if there is a God... And the God of the Bible is the true God. Are we going to look at what he has to say? And so uh, this is really where we find ourselves again tonight. And so I want to just kind of bring to us some just three examples from. And I, I think you will really relate to these three examples that of, of three models of meology uh, and man trying to reach God religion, validating performance record that you may be able to identify with. And, and so, so think about this. How secure do you feel with what I'm about to show you in these three examples? Maybe, just maybe, God grades on a curve when you get to heaven. All right? So I just want you to think right now. Here's fail. Here's pass. Where do you think you fall on the, on the curve? Anybody going to fail themselves? Now, maybe somebody will. I don't know. But... The, what you, the way you handle this is you hang out with all the bad people and just don't be quite as bad as they are, right? And so, so you may not be perfect, but you're just barely going to pass, right? Just, just do what you need to do to pass. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, how much security do you have here in this? If this was the way in which you believe your standing was before God, would you be really sure with this? Would you be as, as confident or comfortable as you could be that when the heart stops, you're going to be with God? Now, maybe, maybe this is, maybe there's scales in heaven, okay? They're just as big old scales in heaven. And on this side of the scales, these are, these are negative signs. These are the bad things you did or the good things you didn't do, you should have done. And then over here, here's your, your, your good things. These are the positive things you did. And so 
You're kind of hoping that your good, right, your good works will outweigh your, your bad works. And so how are you feeling right now if this is your ledger board in heaven? Feeling real good? Um, maybe, maybe you feel a little better now, you know? Um, I'm still not real confident, but maybe, maybe now I feel a little bit better. But the question is, who determines what's good? Who can get inside of my heart and know that what I did for that old lady for 10 years and helping her get her groceries and everything else wasn't because I loved her. I saw her bank account. And I just knew that if I was a good boy, she'd, she'd write me into her will. I mean, how do you know? You don't know. I can't even judge my own heart as to my own motives even. So let me just ask you this question. Um, you feeling comfortable with this? Really, the question here is, can I be sure of what I believe, of what my relationship with God is now in the dash and what it will be on the other side of my last heartbeat? I'm not doing real well with either of these right now. As a matter of fact, I even look in the Quran, there is in, in the 23rd chapter, Surah, in the 102nd, 103rd verse, this is what the Quran says, because I, I, I thought it was interesting. It says, then those whose, now catch this, scales are heavy. Now, okay, here we are. Here's scales, okay? Those whose scales are heavy, they are successful. And those whose scales are light are those who lose their souls in abiding hell. Now, I didn't realize that my beliefs, even going into a church with a cross, were more like Islam, Islamic thoughts than they were actually Christian thoughts. Now, I may not have prayed five times a day. I may not have done any of those things. But at the base of what I believed, I believed that I sure hope my good works outweigh my bad works. And that's... Now, now maybe... Again... Maybe another way to look at this is God is just kind of capricious. You know, he just kind of gets kind of boring in heaven. Can you imagine fat little angels, harps, clouds? I mean, how much fun could that be forever, forever? And so maybe God comes up with a game show. And um, the game show is called. Um, thank you. The game show is called Hot or Not. OK, so the way you play hot or not is first you have to be dead. Okay, so you have to be dead to play hot or not. And what hot or not is, is this, is this, it's like this big, just cut the band, please. Okay. Um, so, so, so there's this massive roulette wheel. It's a humongous universe-sized roulette wheel. And you stand here and the roulette wheel is to your side. Okay. And you spin the roulette wheel and the person that stops next to you will determine whether you are, are hot or not. If he's better than you then you're hot. Okay, so do you understand how that goes? You want to play the game? Anybody here want to play the game? Okay, nobody wants to play the game. You sure? Dolly, you want to play the game? Okay, Dolly wants to play. Okay, so Dolly, um, all right, let's see if I can get this to work. Okay, Dolly, we're spinning the wheel. You just say stop, and we'll stop and see, who, see whether you're hot or not. Okay, ready? Go ahead, just say hot, stop whenever you want. It's spinning. Stop. Oh! I think you're okay. I don't know you that well, but I think you're okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right, Ken, you want to play hot or not? Sure you do. Of course you do, Ken. All right. All right, Ken, just we'll spin it. Go ahead. Stop. Who said stop? Okay. 
do you want her stop or your stop? Yeah. <laughs> Can we, do you want me to stop now? I'm running out of time. Yeah, stop, okay. Oh! I think you're okay. I think you're okay. All right. Peter, come on, Peter. How about you, Peter? Come on, We're, you're good. I feel, I'm feeling good for you here, Peter. We're spinning. Go ahead, just say stop. Whenever. Oh! Who is that? I think that's the Reverend Billy Graham. Security? <laughs> now, okay, now how stupid was that? That was truly stupid, uh, but funny. And, uh, but again, think about this. This is kind of how we think when it comes to this on the other side of our last heartbeat. I hope so. I think so. You know, I, I, I hope it's... Osama bin Laden that comes up next to me if it's a comparison. I hope my works are good. I hope God grades on a curve and I haven't been that bad. Uh, but can you know? Can we know? Let me just ask you one other question. I, I, did you enjoy tonight's dinner? I mean, I can't eat. It's meatballs and spaghetti. And I just, that's not good Italians for an Italian to have that. So, yeah, thank you for thanking the, the chefs. Um, but I just got to have to break it to you. Um, some of your meals were tainted, badly tainted, poisoned even. Now, the way you know whether or not your meal was, was poisoned is that you're kind of feeling and beginning to get this increased feeling of sleepiness, right? It's not me. It's the food that you ate, okay? Now, let me just say, so, so all of a sudden, let's just say from, that your food was tainted, poisoned. Next thing you know, you fall over, you know, your, your head's against the table. You're dead. I want to get through this, so we'll take care of you later. So, uh, but let's say that you're dead. Next thing you know, okay, now go with me here for just a minute, because we're going to, I just want to think, you're dead. Next thing you know, <clears throat> you're standing, <clears throat> excuse me, in front of Jesus Christ. You there? No, you're not there. But in your mind, you're there? Now think, he's going to ask you a question. And here's his question. Why should I let you into my heaven? Think about that. Just don't wait for me. You think about that. Why should I let you into my heaven? Now, you can answer that question a couple ways. You could start thinking of your performance record. You could start piling up the scale. You could start hoping it was a good day before you died. You could start thinking of all the things that you've done that hopefully will validate you to where you got close enough that he'll reach out the rest of the way and grab you. Or you realize that there was nothing that you had sinned and were not acceptable to God and realize there was something you needed to do about that. Here's what Paul says to the church at Rome, <clears throat> which is really good. He says, but if it, it is salvation. It is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is trusting in God. If it is by grace, remember grace, unmerited favor, receiving something you do not deserve. If it's by grace, 
It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can't be both. It can't be your earning it, my earning it, and a gift at the same time. Because any pollution of that is earning it. Whether it's 80% earning it, 98% earning it, 12% earning it, it's earning it. It's something you do, something you're responsible for if God should accept you into his heaven based on what you have done. So if it's by grace, it can't be on the basis of works. Thank you, sweetheart. She just, she is the best. She is the best. Thank you. Okay, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So let's just, let's just go back to this diagram again. Okay, so if it's on the basis of works, here's our model of religion. It's incumbent upon me to somehow hope. Can you know this? Is there any certainty here? Now, again, think about this. How sure can you be? Did you make a perfect act of contrition? Was it perfect? Did you keep the five pillars perfectly? Did you, keep, did you do the eightfold path just exactly right, purely, with no selfish intent? Did you do that? See, there is, between Christianity and every other world religion, again, doesn't mean Christianity is true. I'm just telling you there is a massive difference. You've seen, these, you've seen this diagram of this mountain, right? And then this trails, all different religion. The different religions are the different trails that lead up to one God. That's an interesting picture, but that's not true. There are two trails. Whatever you call it by, it's incumbent upon man to hope he is good enough or woman to hope she is good enough. Christianity from the Bible says, you don't have a snowball's chance in Hades based on your own efforts. And because that is true, this is what Christianity, God so loved us that he did for us what we could not do for him, for ourselves, and he lived the life we should have lived and didn't, and died the death we should have died, and thankfully, he did for us. And this is called grace. It is called God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, God giving to us what we could not earn for ourselves. But it can't be both because it is, they contradict one another. They are saying two different things. They are two different models of worldview. So what do I believe qualifies me? That it's my validating performance record or... Christ's validating performance record. His works, his work instead of mine, in place of mine, or hopefully I'm good enough. See? So how can we have faith? How can we be sure about what we believe? So the Bible teaches, and this is interesting, the Bible teaches that God wants you and me to know for sure what our standing before him is. Whether Heaven is going to be our home. Whether we're going to experience the line forever with him or the line forever apart from him. 
And if I had a desire, if I could snap my fingers and say what I wanted to, for tonight for every one of us, is that we would leave here, that every one of you, if I could name all of your names right now, I would do that, that every one of us would leave here tonight absolutely as sure as possible, knowing, not thinking, not hoping, not wondering, but knowing where are we with God? Are we or are we not followers of Christ according to the Bible? And so tonight, I think it'd be very interesting for us to really think about where am I? What do I believe? What is my hope in? What is my faith position? And what is it based on? Now, I want us to, if, if you want to write this down, I think this would be, be nice for you to write this down because I don't have it on the board. But um, this is something that really was, was interesting to me. Right, Christianity, biblical Christianity, you can just say BC if that'll help you with space, is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Now, typically when I think of religion, I'm thinking of what I have to do. Biblical Christianity says, no, the doing is secondary to the becoming. I'm going to explain that to you in a little bit more in just a couple minutes. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. That's totally contrary to a validating performance religion model to my meology. All right. And so... Here Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now, now, follow this with me. This is the city of Corinth. Paul has written two letters to Corinth. This is the second letter. It's the fifth verse, the 17th chapter. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, she is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, everything becomes new. If anyone is in Christ, now, I told you last week we'd be, t we'd be focusing in on this little two-letter word, in. And that's where we're going to be spending a lot of time tonight. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, how do I become a new creation? Well, last week we talked about that a little bit in terms of, uh, I don't remember, maybe it was Dolly and I were talking about receiving the gift. God extends a gift to us. The question is whether or not we will receive it. Well, it's not just a question of receiving a gift. What, what the scripture says, it's about becoming someone we could never become but for the work of God. And so, you see, in, in validating performance record religion, you are the same person trying to be improved according to the tenets of that faith. Do you hear that? You're the same person just trying to be different, maybe dressing differently, going to different places, but you're the same person. In biblical Christianity, surrender to Christ doesn't just change the things you're doing or the churches you're attending. You become a totally different person on the inside is what biblical Christianity teaches. You see, the Bible teaches that we were born, this, this, so I know you're sitting down right now and I'm glad you are, but the Bible teaches that we were born physically creations of God. 
not children of God. The Bible says we were born physically creations of God. But when we are born spiritually, when we become new creations, we then become children of God. And that's what this is helping us here with seeing this scripture. We become new creations. We become children of God. Let me just show you a scripture that says that. The first chapter of the Gospel of John. He came to his own. That was the Jews. Jesus came to his own. Yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him. Remember that analogy last week? Would you like to receive the gift? To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to, see this word, become children of God. Now, can you become something you already are? No, you can't become something you already are. You would always be that. The Bible says, if you receive him, if you believe in his name, you become someone that you were not. What is that someone that you were not? According to the scripture, a child of God. Now, what it says here, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. He's talking about two births here. He's talking about a physical birth, children born not of natural descent. That would be a physical birth, husband's decision, human will, born of God. Two different births. So he's talking about a physical birth. But he's also talking about a spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth makes us someone, according to the scripture, that we were not before we did what? I trusted, therefore I received, and I received because I believed. Not just mental assent. I did something about what I said I believed. I received. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so we go a little bit further in the Gospel of John to the third chapter. And Jesus says this, flesh, he's talking to the Jewish uh, religious leader, Nicodemus, right? And he says to, excuse me, to uh, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, okay? Delmarmel gives birth to Delmarmel. Loria gives birth to Loria. Delcoral gives birth to Delcoral. Vogel gives birth to Vogel. Abbott gives birth to Abbott. Duncan gives birth to Duncan. Mayu gives birth to Mayu. Do you see that? Flesh gives birth to flesh. But here's a second birth. The spirit gives birth to spirit. And then he says to him, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be, must be. Okay, if Jesus is telling the truth here, if this is correct, you must be born again. Now, this surprised the heck out of me. This is what Jesus said. Okay, this is not... This is not fundamentalist, evangelical, Bible-thumping teaching. This is what Jesus said. You'll find it in any Bible. You must be born, literally, from above. You must be born a second time. You must be born again. So he's talking about physical birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spiritual birth, spirit gives birth to spirit. So the Bible teaches here that the entire human race was born children of Adam. And the ramifications are death. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of cups here. So this is a, the Adam cup, all right? And so we see here that the Bible teaches the entire human race based on 
the rebellion, if you will, of Adam and Eve are born into Adam. And if we're born into Adam, we are born into Adam's death. Remember, God said, we talked about this the last two weeks, to Adam, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Right? And at that moment, at that moment, they were... I've got so deep. I need a bigger desk for all my props. Okay. They were plugged into... I don't have my plugs here tonight. Okay. They were plugged into death. Okay, they were plugged into Adam and therefore plugged into death. That's not an issue of fairness. Well, wait a minute. This guy lived thousands of years ago. What difference does it make to me? It's inheritance. You inherit the DNA of your parents and your progenitors. We inherit the spiritual nature of our progenitor. Adam is what the scripture says. And so we are found finding ourselves in Adam. And so here's what. Here's what Paul writes again. He says, now catch this. Therefore, just as through one man, now you know who that one man is, don't you? That's Adam. Sin, remember what sin is, the day you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. When they sinned, they died in their relationship to God. Sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death, what did it do? It spread to every one of us who've ever drawn breath because all sinned. See, in Adam, I was in Adam. And it just was taking time for me through the continuum to be born and inherit that same nature. And we all know that. So, then as through one transgression, the day you eat of the tree of this fruit, you shall surely die, there resulted condemnation or death to all men. Even so, here we go. Even so, through the act of righteousness, one act of righteousness, there resulted justification and life to all men. So we see one work gives death, one work gives life. Through one act of righteousness, that would be perfection, okay, that would be innocence, that would be right in God's sight. Through one act, there resulted justification, means not guilty right before God, and life. So in Adam, we have death. But in this man, Christ, God says, I come to give you life. I come to unplug you and take you out of death and plug you into life, is what he's telling us. And he could not make that more clear. He goes on to say this. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many, that's us, were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now, do you see our demarcation here with validating performance record, religion, meology, and biblical Christianity? Can you, you can see the two here. Okay, Here's validating performance record, religion. You can be a really good person. You can be a church attender. You can be all those things and still be an Adam because I'm still counting on what I do. I can be the best in Adam person you can find, but I'm still in Adam it's my inheritance. It's what I receive. It's what I was born into. It's what I was born into. So, so let's just look at this diagram. Hopefully this will help us. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, for in Adam, we'll have a, we'll have a little card for you tonight to take this with you. For in Adam, all die. If you're in Adam, if I'm in Adam, I'm separated from God. 
I have died. My relationship with God is severed by sin and selfishness. And so, let's just look at this. So, um, let's say this is you. Okay, all of you, this is you. Um, now, where would you be if your mom and dad had never been? Right? Augusta, you wouldn't be, would you? Right? And where would they be if their mom and dad had never been? So if your mom and dad had never been, and your mom and dad's mom and dad had never been, and your mom and dad's 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 had never been. Right? Do you see that? So who's your daddy? See what I'm saying? Adam. It's Adam. Okay? And so Christ comes with life, the Bible says. And he hangs on a cross to pay for my rebellion, my sinfulness, my wanting what I want when I want it, and the heck with you. And so what am I going to do with that? Well, in Christ, the many shall be made alive. So we're walking dead men and women in Adam. Alive physically, functioning physically, contributing to the planet physically. But in terms of God, dead, separated. Our lineage is in Adam and we're, when we die, when the last heartbeat happens, in Adam, according to what the Bible says, we inherit hell, death, and forever separation from God. But in Christ, the many shall be made alive. And so, being taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, we are no longer connected to Adam's race, and we are placed into Christ forever. So if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old in Adam is gone. Everything's new. From God's perspective, you are brand new. Even if you act like you're still in Adam, according to the Bible, you're still in Christ because you have become a child of God and if your child does stupid things which they do which we all did they're still your kids see that which is born of the flesh Loria is Loria but that which is born of the spirit in Christ is Christ and I'm accepted in him based on not my validating performance record but his record of performance so I want us to really get a hold of that because um, so we are living either in the family of Adam, which is eternal separation from God, or we are in the family of life, which is in Christ. Do, do you see that? I mean, I think the so again, Christianity is about becoming someone that you never were before. Not converted to some new set of rules and regulations and church attendance and Bible reading, all that. You become a new creation with Christ in you and you in Christ. A brand new person. A brand new person on the inside. And that is great news. Because you do not want to be in Adam's family. Because that would be a damn shame <laughs> to be in Adam's family. So, you just don't want that.
So the question here is, and I think this is really the question, does God want you and me to be sure of where we are with him? Does he want us to know where we're going to be on the other side of our last heartbeat forever? Or does he want us to just wiggle around, uncomfortable, not sure, in agony, emotionally up or down, good day, bad day, don't know, in between day? I mean, think about that. Does he make that determination or do you and I make that determination? Who is the one that says yes or no? Really? Does he want me to be sure? If the Bible's true, and God says, I want you to be sure that you are in Christ or you are in Adam, I like that. I don't want to be uncertain about anything. I don't want to be uncertain. I don't want to be one day here, one day there, emotionally up, emotionally down. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Again, believe what it says here. And I think any loving parent would want their child to know their relationship with their parents. That, yes, you are my son. Yes, you are my daughter. So let's see what the Bible says. This is John's first letter to followers of Christ, those who are in Christ. This is what he says. And this is the testimony. He's writing this to those who are in Christ. That God gave us eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may hope you have eternal life. Think you have eternal life. Pray you have eternal life. What does the Bible say? Because I know what I would say. I would say hope, uh, pray, but the Bible says no, you have eternal life. There, there are several, there are a couple of, several different Greek words for the word no in the Greek. This one is no equivocation knowing. This is knowing that you know that you know. So if you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. I write these things to you who've received the gift, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know on the other side of your last heartbeat you will be with me forever. But not only that, that you know in the dash that I'm with you now. And that as Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if that's true, I can't imagine for you and me much better news than that. So the word of God tells us God is the initiator of our knowing him. It is he who determines that. He pursues us first, is what the Bible says. Let me begin. Don't believe me. Let's see what it says. But God shows, God reveals, God displays his love for us. And that while we were still in Adam, still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, he's writing this to those who are in Christ. Since therefore we have now been, you see the past, you see the tense of this verb here? Have now been justified, past completed action, have now been made right with God, made found not guilty, innocent. How? By his doing, by his blood, by his cross, much more shall we be saved 
by him from the wrath of God that comes by being in Adam. God initiates, God shows, God reveals, God displays. Some nearly 600 years before Jesus, the prophet Ezekiel writes this, led by, according to the scripture, the spirit. Now, now watch this. I know you guys have to watch off of here. Some of you guys watching live stream see it here. I myself, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. You see the initiator here? I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. Do you see? Again, if the scripture is true, this is the best news you will ever, I will ever hear. God has come looking for me. You. Put your name in there. He's come looking for you. He desires you. Why? Because he knows we're lost. He knows we're injured, broken. We've strayed. We're totally weak. As a matter of fact, the weakest you can be is dead. And that's what we are. Dead in our sins in Adam. John again. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I love that. I know them. I know you. And they follow me. Question, who are you following? You're following one or the other. That's where I was. I was here. I was following death. I was down the broad road to destruction. They follow me. And I, look what he does. I give them. They don't buy from me eternal life. I give them eternal life. Eternal life that lasts forever. Who's eternal? God's eternal. What kind of life is eternal life? God's kind of life. Life that lasts forever, he says he wants to give us. Now... And when our heart stops on the other side of that. And they will, look at this, never perish. Doesn't mean physically. It means never perish forever. And no one, I love this, nobody's going to take you out of my hand. Okay? There may be some purse snatchers on Canal Street. But nobody takes us out of God's hand is what Jesus declares. That's pretty amazing. So we have security because we are birthed into and joined to and held on to by Christ himself, according to the scripture. But a response is necessary. As I said, this is not just mental assent. This is not just go to church, stand up, sit down, say a few prayers, check the box, and you're okay. That is not Christianity. That is something but it's not Christian. It's not biblical Christianity. So faith is actually taking God's promises and daring to believe them. That's we've all the way up to page 25. You probably didn't notice that. Taking God's promises and daring to believe them. Okay, so let me just give you an example here. Back in back in 1859, there was a guy by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin took a tightrope. He he took it from one side of the Niagara River to the other. He actually didn't do it over the falls, over the river, which is, it's a rapids, which nobody, some people survived doing this thing in like a beer, not a beer barrel, but a, some kind of barrel or kind of thing. They actually survived, but nobody survived the rapids. You fall into the rapids, you're dead. And so that's what Blondin did. He put a tightrope across the rapids. Let's just say, for example, a bunch of people come together to watch Blondin do this. And, and we are there and we're amazed by what Blondin's doing. 
And he says, I could take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side, of the, one side of the rapids to the next. And what he does is he takes a wheelbarrow, he puts about 150 pounds worth of rocks in it, and he takes it from one side of the falls to the other, one side of the rapids to the other. And he comes back and we're all applauding. That's amazing, amazing, wonderful. So then he says to you, Do, who here believes I can take a person now that you've seen what I've done and put them in the wheelbarrow and take them from one side of the rapids to the other? Anybody here believe I can do that? Anybody, just anybody. Yeah, then get in. Okay, so see, it's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to put your carcass in the wheelbarrow. One is mental assent. The other is believing. See, you may be here tonight um, curious. Okay, You've watched all this and you've seen some interesting information. But I don't know if I believe all this stuff. I'm just curious. Can I tell you? Thank you for being here. Curious. Really. Thank you. This is not my decision for you. This is your decision for you. Maybe you're here convinced. Okay? Maybe, you know, I believe this my whole life, but I've never heard it quite like this. Thank you for being here convinced. Truly. Or maybe you're, maybe you're committed. Now, committed doesn't mean you're committed to your commitment to be good enough. That's validating performance record. Religion. But you're committed to Christ saying, nobody's going to snatch you out of my hand. You're committed to the gift that he has given you. His commitment to you. I'm committed to his commitment to me, not my commitment to him. Do you see the difference? And so, so we're typically, and I'm, again, maybe we're, maybe we're callous. You know, maybe we're totally and completely confused. That's fine as well. I'm just grateful you're here, listening, thinking, maybe praying, considering what this truth is. So, so curious is fine, and convinced is fine, and committed. But you see where both of those is. If I'm curious, if what the Bible says is true, I'm still an Adam. If I'm convinced, I'm still an Adam. If I'm committed, I'm still no longer in Adam, but in Christ. I just want to give you a little bit of an example of that. So just the difference between believing about and believing in. So let's just say, for example, um, uh, well, I'll just give you an example of when Annette and I uh, got married. We're standing in front of the, we're standing in front of the minister, and the minister says to me, uh, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, well, Reverend, she's a gorgeous woman, and I would be proud to be seen with her. And he says, yeah, Frank, I agree with you. Um, everybody else does, but do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, well, she's a great cook, and I know I'll never go hungry. That's right, Frank, fine. But do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, you know, her daddy is rich, and the day he kicks, we're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, yes, but do you take Annette to be your wife? You see, I can believe all the right things about Annette and never say two words. And those two words make all the difference in whether I'm convinced or committed.
the way in which marriage happens is there is a, an understanding of surrender into another. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hanged on a cross. He didn't say this, but he would have if, in this analogy. And right before he died, if you'd have been there, he'd have looked you square in the face, straight into your eyes, blood pouring down his face, tears down his face. And before he died, he would have said two words to every one of us in this room, individually. I do. And those two words have echoed through history since that day, if what the Bible says is true. And they echo directly into this room tonight. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I do, and he's not stopped saying, I do. But there's no marriage until two parties say, I do. There's no union until two parties say, I do. Last week, I, we, every one of us, if you were here last week, you saw a little prayer that we prayed, probably full of 60 or 70 words. You know what those words mean? If your heart's not attached, that. But I do, two words, <laughs> with our hearts attached, make me a new creation, no longer my own, Christ's alone, who says, no one will snatch you out of my hand. You are forgiven, you are accepted, you are mine forever. And that is the work of Jesus. That is the work of Jesus. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So hang with me here. So grace is a gift. It's not from yourselves. That's of works so that no one can boast. Grace is the gift. Grace is where I say and I, and I raise the white flag saying, I can't do it. I surrender. That's when I receive by faith the grace of God. But if I want to do it myself, I will say it is not by grace. It is not through faith. It is by myself. It is not a gift of God. It is by my works. And you won't say this but you're going to have to boast. It's either going to be our boasting in what Christ has done or our boasting in what we have done. See, if there's anything I would want for us tonight is leave here. According to the Bible, sure. Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? It could not be, I don't believe tonight, any more clear as to there are two roads that lead to different places. Either in Adam, whatever your persuasion may be of works, or in Christ, trusting not in your works, but in the work of Jesus Christ. Finally, the witness of the Spirit. <clears throat> I, I want you to ask your table host tonight, okay, what happened to you? Did you, did you get in the wheelbarrow? Did you do that? What, 
What, what did that look like? I'm going to pass this scripture here. Evidence of being in the wheelbarrow. Again, colloquially stating, surrendering to Christ. There's a greater aware, awareness of sin and self-centeredness. I, the night I gave my life to Christ, suddenly it was like something went off in me. And I was aware of my selfishness and my self-centeredness like I had never been before. The things I used to say to my sister, I just couldn't say them anymore. Um, a, a new, different love for God and others. I mean, these things just started, just, I wasn't doing anything to make this happen. Just the change was taking place. A change of my attitudes and, and, and the things that motivated me. Um, I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me. I've heard that from so many people. I just felt like just different. A weight has been lifted off of me. And then certain interests or habits, they're just gone or have waned significantly. Things that were just destructive, self-destructive, just went away. Not that you'd ever deal with them again. But I knew that I was in Christ. And God was keeping me. So... Just two words. Just two words. Jesus has said, I do already. I want you to go to bed tonight, which you're going to do. You don't need me to tell you that. And stare at the ceiling. Did you really say I do? Did you really say that? Do you really desire me that much that you would die for me and do for me what I couldn't do myself? And then just shut up. And listen. And if you hear him say yes, then just respond in your heart. I do. You'll be taken out of Adam. You'll be taken out of death. You will be in Christ forever, never to be taken out. And that is the greatest news ever. It's what makes Christianity good news. So, okay. Next week, session six. We're going to go to session six. We're going to skip, skip session five. How and why do I pray? To session five. How and why do, should I read the Bible? So we're going to go to that session six next week. Um, so anyway, thank you guys so much for being here. Let's take a quick break and we will get back at our tables.